Hello and welcome to another episode of Please Ask Mickey, a podcast where we discuss the real shit when it comes to being a woman and we do it in a pretty unladylike way. Now on today's podcast, we have the amazing Elle Sweetman. Now Elle is a good friend of mine and our worlds collided and connected a few years ago and the universe really brought us together for a reason. She's brought so much to my life and has taught me so many things. She's such a wise woman. Um, She is a counsellor, a yoga facilitator and a holistic psychotherapist if you can wrap your fucking head around all that shit. So uh, Elle's whole thing is integrating mind-body healing and working on recovering trauma. Um, And of recent years, she's become incredibly passionate about uh, diet culture, eating disorders and relationship with food. Uh, it's been a lived in experience for a lived experience for her and it has taught her so many things and as she will um, tell us she is still recovering and still healing from um, her her negative relationship with food. It is something that I think so many of us, especially as women, don't even recognize that we have a problem a lot of the time. I know that was my experience. And especially if we're raising children and we're raising this next generation, I think it's something that we need to be incredibly mindful of. In this episode, we touch on all of that. And there will be a part two to this episode because there is so much to unpack. It is a huge, heavy subject and there's so many facets to it. Uh, But yeah, we do talk about the language that we can use and especially yeah, when it comes to children and their relationship with food. And of course, it all comes back to us. So we discuss all of that. Um, so yeah, enjoy. Elle, thank you so much for coming on. It is This is your second podcast with me, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's so good to be back. Always love these. Yes. Well, I know I have made such a wonderful friend in you. I'm constantly inspired by you. The universe put us together um, a few years back now and it's just, I've learned, as I said, I've learned so much from you. You have so much mm-hmm. to teach people. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you have so many laughs to give. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just not quite as educational, but you know. So today we're going to be talking all about diet culture mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. eating disorders, which is something mm. that is really close to your heart. And especially like yep. since I've known you, this has especially been a huge, I guess, subject for you in the past, would you say like a year, year and a half, two years even? Yeah. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. Two, years, two three years. Yeah, for sure. It's been, um, it's been a really huge unpacking, to be honest. Yeah. Um, which is a really wild thing, you know. I was, um, I was studying, you know, psychotherapy and counselling while I was going to psychotherapy and counselling, and unpacking um, my experiences around food and my relationship with food. And um, yeah, it's been it's been such a time of learning, but it's also. It's also for me kind of fired up a bit of a a bit of a passion mm. in wanting to advocate and share a lot more um, around this this field of I guess uh, of mental health. Yeah, 
Is it because it, like, I guess it took you so long to recognise that there was a problem, isn't, wasn't mm. it? So, like, mm. the fact that there's so many of us possibly getting around not recognising that our perception of food or diet or whatever it is is so toxic mm. is really kind of not terrifying but well you it, know. what it does it is scary because it really you don't realize how much of a half-life you're leaving yes so true that's what that's what I found I didn't realize that much of a you know I was just leading this real half-life that was so controlled and controlling and had lived it for the majority of my whole life yeah and didn't you know didn't know that there could be another way and when something you know so I can I can get into the history a little bit of my my disorder where that's come from um yeah we want to hear the story you want to hear the story okay so um, and I, I like to just do a bit of a disclaimer around my story. So every single disorder is highly individual. It has a lot of precipitating factors, a lot more than just one thing that had happened. So the way that I look at mental health, mental health challenges, um, is that they're a result of trauma and they, they, they arise out of, as a symptom of trauma. That's how I personally view it. Not all psychotherapists will agree um, or psychologists will agree, but that's how I view how I you know view our challenges. I don't believe that they spontaneously arise you know, mm-hmm. out of out of nowhere. Oh, you yeah. develop this brain, you know this chemical imbalance in your brain. I don't actually buy into that personally. Yes, neither, um, but I have no like educational backing at all, so <laughs> yeah, there's quite a there is quite a lot of evidence um, out there to say that, uh, yeah, trauma is, in fact, the, um, the, the factor. So, so when I was, I was born um, and my mother had a lot of trouble feeding me, mm. um, she, to, to be fair, like it's, so I'm, I'm a 91 baby. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, dad, dad pretty much dropped mum home from hospital like yeah. the day after I was born. I was like, okay, back to work. That's what I do now. Yes. And mum was left alone and mum had a lot of, um, she was going through postnatal depression. Yeah. what she would know it to be now. Yeah. It wasn't really spoken about back then. No um, she She loved me but had trouble bonding with me, had trouble feeding me, um, was put on formula that I was actually allergic to, mm-hmm. but no one knew. So... I was being fed how many times a day? I don't know because I don't have a baby, I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't know how many times a baby is. I'm not sure. But well, I was being fed To be honest, my kid just like jumps my boob whenever and I'm half asleep when? half the time, so I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. So I was, being, um, I was being fed with this formula that was causing me a lot of um, gastrointestinal pain. Mm. And so I was, you know, screaming and upset. Debt and therefore my mum was even more upset yeah. and struggling and um, was very isolated living out on a farm. And so there was a lot of issues around around bonding. And um, for any mamas out there who have babies who are struggling to eat, please do not think that this is where it will lead to, yeah. to, to disordered eating. I like to just really highlight that. I had a lot of other things 
going on as well um, throughout my childhood and teens that, that got, got me to where I was in that level mm. of disorder. So I like to really just highlight that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, I was eventually the doctors worked out like six, seven months later that I was allergic and they changed my formula. If we were to look at like trauma, that from a trauma level, mm. I've learned to associate food with pain. Yeah. Yeah. So as I grew up, I was really picky. I didn't like, I didn't like eating everything. Food, you know, terrified me. I'd pull apart every piece of food. I didn't like things like fat on meat. Mm. I'd get rid of that. I'd, you know, decide that one day I liked this, one day I didn't. And, you know, the doctors would just say, oh, that's just her being fussy. That's yeah. fine. That's her being fussy. And probably to a level it was. Mm. But it, it got to the point where I was quite malnourished because I just wasn't eating you know, and this was around, you know, ages between, you know, 6 and 12, just not eating the, the level that I should be. So I was very skinny. Mm. And, you know, I, I like to also say that, like, weight not, is not an indicator of disorder as well. So I like to just highlight that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, as I kind of, as I got older, you know, all of these habits around food were so normalized over time. Yes. So, like, it was normal for me to just be the really fussy one. It was normal for me to be vegetarian. Oh, and then I was cutting this out and, oh, now I'm vegan. And now I'm, Mm. like, my family just knew that I was really difficult with food. My parents had inklings that things were really wrong. Mm. But I also grew up in a small country town where people talked. And my parents, you know, quite, quite honest with me and say, you know, they were concerned that if they sent me to a psychologist, word would get out, I'd be ostracized, mm. all of that. Around, you know, mental health, particularly like early 2000s, this still wasn't something that we spoke about a lot. No. So I, um, I my, my parents kept me pretty good until I left home. Like they, you know, I was still eating regularly. They could keep an eye on me. They were trying not to make things a, bit, a big deal, even though, you know, mum says that she was crying about two to three times a week over it. And I had no idea mm-hmm. that that was, that was the case. She was so disgusted, like, my child mm-hmm. is just wasting away. And I was very, I was, you know, I was very thin, but I was, and I, and I still am, and that's largely due to longer-term damage now, to be quite honest. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was very thin and I just, that was normal. Like I was just a tall, thin girl at that point, you know. Yeah. And, and I would say that's the genes of my family. My family are largely tall and slim people. Um, so, you know, nothing was ever really, really picked up. Um, doctors questioned me about it. I told them I ate, which I did. Mm. And they went, oh, that's okay. Because yeah. we're taught to believe that if you have anorexia, which was one of my diagnoses, that you don't eat at all, mm. which is not, which is not correct. You do eat. You're just not eating the amount required to sustain your body. Yeah. So yeah. So I was. I'd, I'd had quite a few traumatic experiences in my late teens, early twenties, um, that had also 
increased my want to cope and it's a coping mechanism, a control mechanism. So I would restrict a lot. I became overly what we call orthorexic, like so concerned Mm. about healthy food, what's healthy, what's not. Like I'd learn, this was around the time, you know, that gluten-free became a thing. Yeah, I don't have a gluten intolerance whatsoever, but I, I, you know, I was like, well, if it's, I, I'm not going to eat anything with gluten in it because it must be really bad for me, yeah. um, even though I have no reaction to it. So I, you know, cut out gluten and I cut out dairy, then I cut out soy, then I cut out sugar and I cut out all grains, and mm. then I cut out meat and eggs and. Suddenly, I just had this diet that consisted of very few calories. Yeah, like and bird diet. No, not like even. Bird diet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no grains. <laughs> no, well, not even grains. So yeah, no, yeah. not bird diet at all. Rabbit um, diet. Yeah, but like I, what, I was having maybe a couple of smoothies a day, and maybe, you know, one one plate of food, whatever that happened to be, and. Um, I got to the point with this, you know, where every single food wasn't ever healthy enough. Like my perfectionism Mm. had taken over to such a level where I, you know, I would eat a banana and there'd be something wrong with that. Yeah. Um, like my, I guess my scope of foods that I found acceptable got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And as that happened, so did I. Mm. <laughs> and eventually I got to the point where um, I was like walking up the stairs <laughs> to my house and I started feeling this really weird feeling in my chest. Mm. And I was always, at this point, I was always exhausted. I'd, I told myself that I had an autoimmune disease, <laughs> oh which was just my denial. Yeah, yeah. That something was wrong. And also, you know, in terms of development, when things are developed in a chronic way, it's often harder to know that they're um, they're maladaptive. You know, you don't know that they're wrong because it's, you know, they've kind of, it, it was a very long process of me. And I'd never had a normal relationship with food, so I had no concept of what that would look like. Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so I was walking up the stairs one day, my heart was doing this, this weird kind of flip and I started to feel really nauseous and I ended up collapsing and I was saying, you know, I've got to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor and I did all these tests around all these tests because I was, I literally, this is how much of a control freak I was. I'm recovering. I like to say I'm a recovering perfectionist now. Recovering um, perfectionist. <laughs> recovering perfectionist. <laughs> I um I literally had printed like pages off of Google about various autoimmunes that I thought I'd had. <laughs> Took them to the doctor. Oh my god. And was like this. Yeah. I'm like um. So this is what I've got. The doctors were like, uh, like how about we do our job, you do yours. <laughs> <laughs> how about we ask the doctor books and not yeah. Doctor Google. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I and I went to a couple of different doctors, and they were like, you know, you've just got low iron, and this and this is the really big issue with GPs is that they don't have a lot of um, education around eating disorders. Yet they're the first point of call for a lot of people who are suffering from them. 
So there's a real big misalignment there that is, is, is improving but could definitely improve a lot further. So they were trying to work out what's wrong, kind of what's wrong with my heart. I had heart monitors on. I had sonograms of my heart done. And then one doctor, and she was a lot younger, and she looked at me and she said, what do you eat? And I was like, ah, food, like normal amounts of food, I'm sure. And I, like, told her what I ate, and she went, all right, that's not a lot. And I was like, okay, yeah, I probably should eat a little more. And she was like, how do you feel about eating a little more? And I was like, I just felt this really strong kind of, um, like, don't tell me what to do kind of feeling. Like, don't tell me that I need to do that. I'm fine. I'm fine. It was yeah. such a denial then. And, and you know, she said, I'm going gonna, gonna to send you on to, a, you know, a psychologist, I think, that you've got an issue. And it's funny because I've had about three or four doctors maybe over my lifetime being like, trying to unpack this with me and I had just cut them off Mm. completely. But this time I just felt this massive sense of relief, like I'd been seen and I went, yeah, I went, yeah, I need help. And even now I can nearly tear up, like when I'm thinking about it. That's huge. saying like, I need, I need someone to help me out. Do you think you were ready for it? Like, um, yeah. Yeah, I think I was ready for it. I think I was I was really scared because my heart was, yeah. you know, up until that point I'd kind of been able to, like I was what we'd call high-functioning within my disorder, within yeah. the disorder. Like I, no one knew I had it. I didn't even really know. Like yeah. it was that subconscious for me that I didn't even know. I knew that I was picky with food, but I didn't know that it was so, um, that it, you know, that it was potentially slowly killing me like that you that hadn't was seen the a consequence from no I guess your actions no there was no yeah. consequence so I just kind of continued the way I was going yeah but um but yeah so I I um and I think it took because I'd, I'd moved out and I like to just highlight this I'd kind of moved out of ways throughout my life of it being a really quite a profound issue of my, you know, being really low weight and then, and then, you know, finding balance and moving back, back into a bit more of a balanced state. And, and the, this last time that this had happened, you know, I'd, the year prior, I'd lost someone that I loved really deeply. Mm. And I think this was, it, it took me to a different level with this, with the disorder. Do you think, is that like, depending on what was going on outside of you, was this yeah. almost kind of like a way to, I guess, not control. even knowingly control, yeah. Yeah, Have definitely. control over a situation. And it was. And, and you know, even now, I, I even now, like things can get scary. Like, you know, we were just talking prior to recording about the coronavirus. Yeah. And, you know, even I do feel the, I do sometimes still get that little like, oh, I just might control like I just want to control something I feel that I feel the same feeling but because I'm so aware of it I don't buy into it I don't engage in it there's none of none of that anymore but my you know my recovery took me to actually have you know have to recognize it and have to see you know where I wanted to control and all of those things because that was so subconscious for me yeah like you actually were no longer the thought you were recognizing the thought yeah yeah so 
Yeah, so I am um, recovery. I would I would probably still say that I'm on my journey there. Mm. Um, I I don't necessarily. I'm not aiming to be recovered endpoint. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't think. Uh, what I'm aiming is to continually improve and build and nourish my relationship with food. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I look at it um, because I noticed when I went into, uh, went into recovery and that can look very different for a lot of different people, um, for a lot of different cases. Recovery for me looked like, um, you know, seeing a psychologist a couple of times a week, seeing a dietitian. Um, I was very well supported at home. So I didn't go into, and I and I wasn't at the the level of hospitalisation, which was really for me really fortunate that I caught it where I did. Yeah. But yeah, I I feel that my um like yeah rec- recovery. I don't I don't need a an endpoint. I don't need to be perfect in my recovery because. I'm trying to do the, you know, to to challenge my perfectionism. You're a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) Yeah. And when I like literally when I when I went into um went into to recover, I was like, okay, sorry, I need a timeline. Like I need goals Mm. to work towards. Like let me know when I'll be recovered. This is going to be fine. Because also I had this like I had like kept on looking at my watch. Like okay, I'm going to be graduated soon as a as a counselor. Like I really want to get this situation, you know, covered up and put away so that I feel like I can be valid in my work, right? So, yeah, because you were the, I mean, you were the counsellor and psychotherapist who was being counselled. Yeah. So I was like, oh, no, I really want to, I really just want this to be, because I just didn't see, I really didn't see the value of lived experience at that point in my work. Yeah. Actually being someone who's traversed you know, traversed struggle and, you know, um, trauma and these kinds of things. I didn't see that that could be valuable to me. I just wanted to, like, get it out and just like, all right, bye. That was what that thing that happened to me and we don't talk about it anymore kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I just help other people. Like, I don't talk I just about my issues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, I'm, I've am i got things together. It's fine. Yes. So I found myself wanting to go into that perfectionism and wanting all of these timelines. And then part of the next kind of layer of my, my self-understanding and my self, um, you know, inner mining was to go, okay, well, isn't it more important to just build and nourish that relationship with feeding yourself rather than worrying what recovery even looks like? Because it doesn't, it looks so different for every single person. Yeah, totally. Right? So you can't really, like, give it a, you know, <laughs> give it like a, okay, that point, now you're recovered. Yeah, totally. So, like, you don't know what that even looks yeah. like. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't I don't engage in any of behaviours around restriction um, or... I don't, I've really softened around the good and bad foods, which we're going to talk about later, the language that we use around food. I no longer see food as a worse thing, Mm. like, which is another thing that we're going to speak about. Um, And I don't use it to control. I'm actually okay with things not being in control. Like, you know, I was saying before, like my car got smashed up (laughs) this week (laughs) by my neighbour. I wasn't in it. It was fine. And like, 
I would have just escalated at that point. Yeah, would have tipped you. Would have tipped me, and it would have either tipped me into anxiety or would have tipped me into restriction to mm. control the situation. And it actually, I just went like, all right, well, this is a good opportunity to get a new car with lower caves. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which sometimes I even surprise myself. I'm like, wow, yeah, the work, it's worked. Like, the work yes. has worked. Isn't so, that, that's amazing, like, rec- being able to recognise those moments, I guess, where you're yeah. like, oh, wow, I really am recovering. Yeah. Yeah, I really am. And I really am becoming, you know, I work a lot with nervous system health. That's my my area that I really love and, you know, its relation to trauma. And so I can look at myself and go, wow, like I'm becoming a lot more regulated. My nervous system is recovering from the traumatic experiences that I had in my life and it's becoming more regulated. What do, Can you talk a little bit more about that? What does that mean as far as like uh, working with your nervous system and the effect it has? Okay, so like we, uh, I'm going to kind of make it nice and simple because <laughs> it can get really convoluted. <laughs> so our nervous system basically contains like our brain, our brain stem, and then the nerves that run out. Yeah. Now... We that's that's a very simplistic, <laughs> very simplistic like brain um, bunch of ropes overview. running off it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Um, now we have all probably heard of fight or flight. Yeah. When we're when we act, we call that activation. So our nervous system is really activated. We are uh, we feel it when we're stressed. We feel it when we're anxious. That like busyness, like oh, quick, quick, quick! I've got to, you know, you might feel it in your body as a clenching, a, um, a heat, heart rate increases. So we get really, and and for a lot of us, if and you know, I put my hand up and say like I lived with anxiety, anxiety for many, many years. Mm. So I know that that feeling quite well. I lived within that feeling quite well. So that's what we call the, the fight or flight response, and that's the sympathetic nervous system um, activation. And then we have our parasympathetic nervous system. Now, that is broken up into two areas um, or two different activation areas. One is called our ventral vagal, which is when we feel... So that's a parasympathetic that people kind of talk about when it's like you want to get to the parasympathetic state and that's calm, collected, um, mm. clear, you know, connected to people, those kinds of things. Yeah. But then we also have dorsal vagal, which is our, um, this is where we, we freeze. So that's the fight, flight or freeze response, the freeze response is where we shut down our body kind of, we don't know what to do. Um, this is very prominent in, in trauma of like when you don't have a choice, you just kind of shut down. When you don't get to, you know, fight or flee, you shut down. Right. And um, another another of um, reaction is to fawn. So that is to please. So, you know, to make, you know, so if you're with a cat, so pleasing them to to ensure your survival so this is all survival the reason we have this nervous system you know we're very intelligent beings but at our core we're just trying to survive so interesting so i'm just even like back at the the pleasing one yeah because doesn't that's like isn't that so many women Mm. yeah yeah it is and it is a trauma it's a trauma it can it can be 
I might just say it can be because yeah. it can be a lot of different things, but it can be a trauma response to to make things okay, to make everything okay. You know, I know you were speaking a lot about domestic violence over the last mm. couple of weeks. To stay safe. They're just to trying stay to stay safe. safe. Mm. So our nervous system is always trying to keep us safe. Yeah. And occasionally we, you know, when you look at the roles of addictions or eating disorders or, um, you know, certain behaviours and mechanisms, they're actually always just trying to bring us back to homeostasis or to keep us mm. safe, but then just a little, well, they're actually a lot maladaptive. What does so maladaptive like, mean? It means that it's, it was done to help you adapt, but it wasn't good. Yeah, cool. <laughs> okay. That's like it had a very... crack, like its intentions were good, but it did a shit job. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that was like the least. That was, that was such a poor, um, I probably have like lectures just like, oh, my God, what? <laughs> that's the Michaela way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so like this is where I really believe that everybody, every single person is doing the best they can. Mm, yeah. You know, you look at the people who are highly addicted, like that is probably their level of survival. Like that's all they can manage, that's all they can do. Mm. They're doing the best they can. You know, so my the, the eating disorder that I developed was just like, well, if you put food in your mouth, you hurt yourself. So don't do that. We're keeping you safe. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it so, changed, like really just puts the the disorder or the addiction or the anxiety, the whatever it is, really turns uh-huh. it on its head because instead of it being something that I guess you think that it's trying to hurt you and you think that it is this horrible, mean, awful thing, yeah. really it's actually trying to save you or look yeah. after you. To look after you. But as we it's doing a shit job, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, not, it's not like it's no, no way even close to ideal. No. But it's... <laughs> And that's why, you know, even things like anxiety and depression and these kinds of things, there is, there is a level of intelligence to it. It just doesn't occur, right? But mm. it doesn't mean that, um, you know, it doesn't mean then that we have no, no con- control over how we begin to heal it. So, yeah, so that's, that's the nervous system. So we, throughout the day, we do fluctuate. Our nervous system fluctuates. It takes us to different... Um, different states like if you're driving and someone pulls out in front of you you want your sympathetic nervous system to be activated that's what helps you put your foot on the brake in like a split second to save your own life you know like but then what happens is we stay in that state and we come hot like we come home to our family and then our family's Mm. pissing us off and then we're like we're just in that state of reaction so when we stay in that state of reaction you know that's that's typical of high stress. And then when we're looking at people who have, a, you know, um, a dysregulated nervous system, which, uh, you know, a lot of us are, are wor- working with regulating our nervous system, yeah. that's, um, yeah, you, you can move between the kind of the states of feeling like the freeze response or the, the fawn response and then the heightened response. And we're just you know, hoping eventually when 
you know, when I work with people, I'm hoping eventually that we find that middle ground of just feeling really calm and connected and clear. Um, and because I, I was listening to ages and ages ago, um, Joe Dispenza mm-hmm. just talking a bit about this. Mm-hmm. And um, feel free, free to fact check me here, but because this blew my mind, and it was he was talking about the um, the nervous systems because he mm-hmm. was a chiropractor and you know he worked a lot of nervous systems, and yeah. he was talking about because your body physically responds to I guess the signal that you're putting out. So if a car does you know come in front of you you freak out, you go into that fight or flight mode and, you know, say like a gazelle runs away from a lion, animals are able to then like, it will be running away, manage to get away from the lion, which would be scary as fuck. And it just goes back to like, oh, okay, look, there's a bush over there. I'm just going to go eat some leaves. Mm. And it instantly forgets that like what happened, you know, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't sit there and like 10 years later, sit back rocking, you know, rocking back and forth in a chair, remembering that time it got chased by a lion and, you know, all the trauma it's brought up or that kind of thing. Like humans do. Whereas mm. like we will, uh, you know, either remember a trauma or whatever it is, or experience, you know, a car coming out in front of us and our body will respond as though it's kind of running away from a tiger. Yeah. Yeah. It's what it what it is. One is that we don't allow ourselves. I apologise. My dog is in the background losing his mind because my partner's just left. Oh, really? so, I couldn't even hear. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> but what happens is that animals are actually able to express their their trauma expressions. So, like you'll often see, like if yeah, like if a antelope gets away from the tiger or whatever gets away from whatever animal, <laughs> it will like. It, it may shake uncontrollably for a little while, like expressing that energy mm. of that response. Um, and, you know, I was even I was talking, you know, even to to a client the other day and we were just discussing trauma. And, and what often happens is that we, you know, like something really traumatic happens, like a car accident, for example. Like I was in a very serious car accident when I was 12, Um mm. And, like, people will come up and they're trying to talk to me and trying to get information from what was going on. And I didn't really have the opportunity to kind of, like, process. Yeah. It was very much that I was I was in. I was kind of got out of the car. I don't know how I did that. Adrenaline, amazing. Mm. But out of the car and then people were asking and, like, requiring stuff of me. So I was kind of pushing down all this fear and this shakiness that I had. And was then, you know, trying to use my front brain and trying to rationalise things rather than actually feeling the full experience. And so that, for a long time, I worked with symptoms of of PTSD Mm. because I would, you know, something very similar or not even closely similar would happen and would trigger um, a traumatic response in my body because I hadn't expressed the full expression of that. Is that kind of similar to what, I guess, your not eating disorder was, but was it almost, Mm. I guess, like a form of PTSD in a way? It's kind of like the food would just trigger. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would have those responses of um, like heightenedness around food or if I felt full, I was stressed. Mm -hmm. And if I felt, yeah. So I had a lot of 
you know, I would look at a plate of food and I'd just be like, I just can't do it. And I used to say to my parents, these are crying, so don't make me eat. Like, don't make me do it. Like, and it sounds, mm. I know for someone who's never experienced, you know, disordered eating and there's probably plenty of listeners who've never experienced it, it sounds really wild, hey? Like, it can't mm. be that hard <laughs> to just sit and eat. And I've had a lot of people say that to me over the, over the years. Like, it can't have been that hard. But, um, you know, you're asking, you are kind of asking me to override my nervous system. Yeah. You're and you're saying, this is not good. This is real bad. And I'm, and you're asking me to override it. That would be like someone trying to force me to eat gluten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, you know, in my, my nervous system believed, my brain believed that this food was not safe. Yeah. I and feel so that's like, why sorry. I direct, I... Sorry, you go. No, 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 you go. No, I was just going to say that's why I really, I think I particularly developed a very orthorexic stance around food. I think so. so many of us have, or I would go as far as to say that majority of women either have experienced or mm-hmm. don't realise they're still experiencing some mm. form of eating disorder. Like I know mm-hmm. I definitely, like I used to make myself vomit after everything and like, you mm-hmm. know, would weigh myself a hundred times a day and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was that thing, like the worse the situation was or the, like, depending on what was going on outside of me, I would try and control my food. When I was a child, it was not eating meat when I grew, mm-hmm. you know, like, and mm-hmm. as I got older, it developed into more things. And then like the more I learned about food, the mm-hmm. worse it got because it got. I would then, I knew what that did to me. And like, I could imagine I was, um, and I was studying um, nutrition and naturopathy at the time. And so yep. I would then picture when I put something in my mouth, I would, I could see what it was doing to my body and like, it mm-hmm. would, it's overwhelming. Yeah, it is completely overwhelming. And it's interesting too, because I studied nutrition and naturopathy for a year or so as well. And that was, for me, probably the height of my orthorexia. Oh, no doubt about that. Mm. Because I think, and I never want to say to people, like, just, you know, I don't want to ever just encourage people to just eat junk food. Like, I'm, I'm definitely not doing that. But I think what we've done is we've created such a binary around food, like good and bad. Yeah. So even wellness culture acts a lot like diet culture sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you eat this, this has all of this in it and it will do this to you. So we just go, well, that's a bad food. So no longer is, say, just, you know, the sugar bad. But then I got to the point of being like, well, nightshades are bad. Like the nightshade vegetables, which are like, yeah. you know, capsicums or whatever, like they're bad yeah. now. And fruit is bad. And, and fruit is bad. <laughs> and, oh. you know... Like it is, it's that it's so overwhelming. And I realized, like, and because I did it like without really even thinking, but now if I find myself falling into those kinds of headspace, which I find it very simple for me to bring myself back out and bring myself back to reality, mm. um, you know, like I just find myself going, like, oh, but then where will I go with that food? Or like, you know, if I don't have that, like what, what will I add in for that? Or is that, a, is that an okay add in? And 
I think we need to kind of get to the place where we actually re-listen to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've outsourced so much of our information around our food and what we eat. Mm -hmm. And we've also, like, you know, we've also done that without looking at the actual chemistry of how food's broken down. Mm. Like, you know, we we make kind of assumptions like, and I, and I understand the difference between complex carbs and, and simple sugars. Like I get that. Like one can spike your blood sugars more, like simple sugars, you know, will, will spike your blood sugar. But the thing is, is you eat a, you know, whole grain, cracker, gluten-free, blah, 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 and then you eat like something that's pretty much straight sugar. They both end up being straight sugar in your system. Yeah, slow, slow ones are much slower process, and I know I'm not, I'm not going to be a nutritionist. I just have done a little bit of my own study around this, so I just like to highlight: not a nutritionist, but you know, we so we we think like we're not eating sugar, but it it's still turn, it is you know still a sugar which is such a building block of our energy needs as a human. Mm. Mm. And, and yeah. Sorry, you got you. No, 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 no. You keep going. I was just going to say, you know, some of these these diets or these you know regimes people get put on, you know, twelve hundred calories. That's the equivalent of like what a child should be eating. <gasps> so Not a menstruating woman. Yeah. Which has a you know which that's huge need. If you're a menstruating woman, huge needs. For calories there I wonder, like sorry can I inter do we th- yes because you know there's such high rates of infertility and hormonal mm. issues nowadays and maybe mm-hmm. there always was but we didn't know about it but mm. all we can say is right now we know that many mm. women struggle with like endometriosis PCOS um mm-hmm infertility, you know, unexplained infertility, whatever it is. Mm. And I know personally many women who were struggling with infertility and as soon as they gained weight, yeah. they fell pregnant. Yeah. We need we, we need a certain amount of fat on our bodies yeah. for our bodies to go because otherwise you're in starvation syndrome, right? Yeah. Your nervous system's like, oh, that's where we are now. We're in, you know, our bodies, we're in starvation syndrome. Mm. Um, in starvation syndrome, often you'll lose your periods. That's why women women suffering mm. from anorexia lose their periods or have a really light period or um, really irregular periods mm. because your body's like, we are not in a shape, like in any state to carry a baby. Yeah, we don't even have enough to We don't have enough to look after you. ourselves. Yeah, let alone someone and else. That's a survival thing. Like, yeah. you know, back in the day when we lived in the cave um, and wore the animal skins, yeah. <laughs> <Cave> <laughs> <days>. yeah. <laughs> we we weren't going to be um you know, see our our bodies wouldn't allow us to fall pregnant if we couldn't even look after ourselves. If there wasn't enough food for us, mm. there wasn't gonna be enough food for another another mouth. End of story. Yeah. So yeah, I think and I think what we've also done is we've created this ideal body. Yeah. Too. And it used to be really thin, like early, you know, early 2000s, it was like model thin. Yeah. And now it's this really fit, like washboard abs, super toned woman. 
right? Yeah, muscle, muscle woman. Muscle woman, which is, you know, ass, if that's... Flat yeah. stomach. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I don't know how they get there. Um, I also can't be bothered, to be oh, honest. neither. Cannot be bothered. Have better things to, <laughs> to do with, with my time. But if that's what you, and, you know, if that's a passion, I celebrate that. That's amazing. But I think what, what happens is that, you know, we forget that we need a certain amount of body fat yeah. for our hormonal systems to, as women, for our hormonal systems to function effectively. Um, if we don't have body fat, our bodies think that we're, we're starving. Yeah, that's just the bottom line, isn't it? It's the bottom, it's the bottom line. And, I, yeah, I, it, it, it does, it just worries me because I think we've also got Instagram mm. and we know that these bodies are, uh, so many of these bodies are actually alters on apps. I didn't mm. even know this. Oh, I'm really? not very clued up with the tech world. I think I belong in the wrong era right now. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you're like that I Insta had... book thing with the yes. with the girls that are pinching in their waist. <laughs> mm. So, and you know, the thing is, is yeah, like we as adult women can see that and go, mm, mm. "That looks a little off." Yeah, true. Or also the the cookie cutter, like you know, all of these people looking very similar. Mm-hmm. I go like, okay, there's. They're all using some program, obviously. Yeah. Um, but like young women don't particularly know that, um, or they might not be using their critical front brain because it's not actually fully formed yet. Mm, well, I mean, we like never did as teenagers when we read magazines and stuff with no. women who were photoshopped. Never did no. we sit there and go, "Oh, they're just photoshopped," you know? Like, yeah, we. Like, I know me personally, definitely, mm-hmm. like, you know, we went, as we said, like, the early 2000s was all about, you know, being bone thin. Mm. And mm-hmm. so that was what we were trying to achieve and have yeah. so many of us just never properly healed from that. That was another thing I was going to um, yeah. ask you because some – does it like do all dis- eating disorders you think have some degree of um, an aesthetic pop- um, uh, component? Like a, a social component of how yeah. we, yeah. Um, oh, that's a, it's a tough question. It's interesting because I used to think that mine didn't. Yeah. Right? Like I used to think that mine didn't. But as I uncovered more and more of my just mm. I recognized that I actually did I yeah. did have a level of um it, it's it's like it's definitely not about the weight but it is also about the weight it's yeah, a really totally. interesting it's it's a coping mechanism but the weight is a signal of like where you haven't controlled mm-hmm. <laughs> or where you failed yeah or where you're not successful because we're taught that successful women, you know, are disciplined and they're, mm-hmm. and you know, they're, they're, um, they look a certain way. They look a certain way and they go to the gym. Yeah. And they, and you know, I'm, I'm very honest. Like, I, I don't gym. I don't like 
gym. Well, you yoga. <laughs> um, I yoga. That's what I do. I yoga and I walk my dog slash trip over my dog. He's seven months old, doesn't get the walking thing. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, I think we're, we're, we're taught this idea and, and whether or not you think that you're affected by it, I feel like there's mm-hmm. that much um, content put out there around it that it does kind of sink into your, into, your, into your brain. You absorb it. We'd be numb to it. We'd be numb to the, to the fact that it is, that it does affect us, I think, because yeah. it's almost like it's so normal, even just as far as like, as we were talking, touching a bit, you know, we sort of touched on the wellness industry. And yeah. like, as we said, this is a really fine line to dance with. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, I look at those people that are in the gym every single day and like they don't make it to the gym and they're freaking out and like, oh, I have to take a week off the gym because I've got an injury or whatever it is. I have nothing personally against going to the gym or working out or whatever, because it is a great way. Mm. It is great for your mental health or that kind of thing. If it is about that, that. not if it's about aesthetics mm. not if you're going Aesthetic. to the gym because you want abs and you want an ass and you want this and you want that and if I miss it if I'm not eating putting what is it calories in calories out um all that other meal prepping bullshit whatever it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like because then as we were talking about that's that like orthorexia kind of mind that obsession that like mm-hmm. overthinking that I mean, like, the thing is, like, these things shouldn't control us. No. And that's when it gets, when, the thing is, is that you you kind of feel like you're in control, Mm. but you're not. It's like faux control. Um, If, yeah, if you can, if you can't take a day off the gym, you can't. I, you know, I would just be aware of that. I'm not going to, in any way, shape or form, say what that means for you. Yeah. But that's something to be really aware of. I really love this quote that like physical health in the absence of mental health is not health at all. Yeah, I love that. Mm. And that's what we we go for this quest of this physical health and we you know go to the health food store and we buy all our powders and we do all these kinds of things, but we're still <laughs> stressing about it mm. so much that those stress hormones are still pumped around the body, mm-hmm. you know. And to be fair, like, I love – I'm so happy now. Like, yeah. I'm so happy that I can go to the beach with my love and we're like, let's get an ice cream. And I just yes. I just get whatever one I want, not yeah. the one that I look at and I go, oh, it has a little thing that says, like, oh, okay, it's this free and that free. Yeah. Okay, I'll get one and I'll only get a um, – and I'll put it in a cup. Don't put it in a cone, please. I don't need the cone. And put it in the baby size one. In the baby size. Like I just go, I just want this and I eat it and and I'll, I'll be very honest, like 90% of the time I eat it and I'm like, cool, move on. And I still every now and then 10% go like, oh, was that – I don't know if that was the best thing to do. Mm. Not because of how I feel. You know, if I eat something and my body's like, oh, don't like that, I don't eat it again, mm. you know, because my body's given me that <laughs> that cue. Yeah. So I learn a lot to differentiate between body cues and, like, our our inner chatter yeah. as well. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Some food, like, you know, some people do have genuine intolerances and, like, yeah. food definitely Absolutely. has an effect on us for sure. But, yep. yeah, trying to as you said, differentiate between 
yeah, our body cues and our mental cues. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Or even like what are some of the toxic thoughts or traits Mm. that we um, Mm. might be experiencing or might be having that are indicators that we have a bad relationship with food or or whatever it is? Yeah. So using words good and bad. Yeah. That's a really big one. And it's hard because it's also everywhere in marketing. Yeah. Or like guilt free or guilty or mm-hmm. you know, like um you know, treat and those kinds of words mm-hmm. which differentiates food. Um I think we you know, if we hear ourselves saying those kinds of things um just being just being mindful of that um something that happens when we restrict a certain food is we feel um, deprivation yeah so we feel deprived so like for example if i woke up and i was like i want pancakes with maple syrup and some butter or whatever Mm. and i'm like no no i'm going to make myself these pancakes, like the you know inverted commas healthy version. Yeah, I'm probably I'm not probably I'm not going to be satisfied, right? No, because I've just des- I've deprived myself of what my original want was. Mm. Now I know I'm hearing people being like, no, but like you've got to be healthy, and I'm definitely saying, yeah, you've got to be healthy. And when we begin to heal our relationship with food. There will be a period of time where you probably eat all the things that were on the bad list mm. because you freed yourself up. Yeah. But then you journey back. <laughs> this is intuitive eating. I'm not an expert. I have some great people who are, and I can give you some names of some people to follow. Um, awesome. I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, but then it balances out. And it's no longer good or bad. It's just like I feel, you know, you'd be you'd be surprised if you let yourself eat by feeling mm. that you will actually eat things that will nourish you. Yeah. That you will. And you'll also eat the occasional Magnum ice cream at the beach. Yeah. And that won't kill you either. <laughs> and that doesn't make you a bad person and it doesn't mean you failed and it doesn't mean that you... Um, a less of a person. Yeah. Because this is how much away. worth we've attached. Yeah. How much worth we've attached around yes. food. Yes, absolutely. It's phenomenal. <laughs> and another thing is that we also, like majority of us listening are probably incredibly privileged. So we mm. can sit there and go, well, I'm only going to eat organic vegetables. I'm only going to eat this. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to eat that. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. But then there are people in rural areas or, you know, who don't or maybe don't have as much money or aren't as mm-hmm. privileged as we are and can't, they don't have those options. Mm. So are I'm they... I'm so glad that you bought this up. I'm so glad that you brought this up. (laughs) Yeah. This is something that I really rumble with a lot. And and to be very honest, have removed quite a few um quite a few food influences from Instagram Mm. because of this reason. Yeah. 
Right. We are very privileged when it comes to what kinds of food we can eat, um, our affordability, like what we can we can buy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be 100% honest. I don't buy 100% organic. How dare you? <laughs> I know. What? I do. I know. Who am I? I Scandalous. I try to do the best I can. I get spray free where I can. Yep. You know, my nannies are just local nannies. Yeah. Like they're just local nannies. I don't think they were growing, you know, organically, but they're just local. So like we are, we are so privileged. And when we make these big calls about this is what you should be eating as a person Mm -hmm. and this is, and also not just financially privileged, but some of these people, this is their job to make amazing food all the time. Yeah. Like other people don't have, and I used used to do this, I'll be very honest. I'd go to Woolies and I'd only go and, you know, shop my macro or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'd stand in line and I'd look at the mother with the three kids in front of me and mm-hmm. she'd have, you know, all the different kinds of food and I would just be like, I can't believe you're feeding your kids that shit. Yeah, I used to be a judgy motherfucker as yep. well. Mm-hmm. I used to go, I can't believe you're feeding your kids that shit. Okay, now I look at it from a perspective of where I stand now mm-hmm. and I go, I have one, no idea about her level of education around mm-hmm. food. I have no idea about her budget. Mm-hmm. I have no, I, I now, because I have this belief that everyone is actually doing the best they can. Mm. She is doing the best she can. She has three kids. Two of them are, are screaming. Yeah. She is really just trying to have her children well-fed. Yes. Yes. And what we decide oh, is well-fed for another person Mm-hmm. Like I'm a big, what we practice a lot within within counselling, psychotherapy is autonomy. You know, we can't decide what is someone else's best life. Oh, yes. yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah. So, so and like time poor, like you know, we don't get to make all of these amazing. And I love, you know, I love trying out some of these you know, awesome. We have so many amazing nutritionists on the Sunshine Coast and Mm -hmm. I love when I have time, I'm like, yes, I'm going to make this food and I love it. And I think, oh gosh, these guys are so talented and I love their recipes and I'm never in any way, shape or form ever having a a dig at these guys at all. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying like, you know, what is, you know, what is affordable? What can people actually manage? Yeah. When we work with, you know, I've, I've, through my study, we did quite a quite a bit of social work. Mm-hmm. Like, and you look into planning, like social planning, and this includes, you know, it's like what can these people actually manage mm-hmm. without causing further stress to their lives? Well, that's it. When does it become a mental health issue, or when does it? That yeah, yeah. that's the thing, and that's mm-hmm. what I think we, you know, we see is that it does become a mental health issue. And I, I said to you before, Sunshine Coast has the highest concentration of eating disorders in Australia. That's so crazy. So for anyone that doesn't know, Sunshine Coast is in Queensland in uh, Australia because yeah. we've yeah. got listeners all over the bloody place. All right? over the place. <laughs> yeah, they're like, so I don't know what the fuck a Sunshine Coast is. I don't yeah, know. That yeah. was my really bad attempt at an American accent. Anyway, go on. I I loved it. <laughs> you get you get A for effort. Yeah, it was very rednecky, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
And and that's you know that's where I'm speaking from right now. Yeah, and yeah, Sunshine, Sunshine Coast. Coast. I'm like I'm from my heart is still on the Sunshine Coast, but Coast. it is yeah. a very health conscious community, which is what yeah. makes it so amazing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as it you is said, very health conscious, also possibly dangerous. Yeah, it's just. I have, it was, it was funny, I, I went to Bali recently and I sat down with my best friend I met over there and she said to me, because I put it in a post a little while back, mm-hmm. said to me, can you tell me what, because I said I have my, you know, theories on this, but I didn't kind of go into it. And she said, can you tell me your theories? Yes. And one, I think the weather is really good here. We have our bodies out a lot more. Yeah, totally. So I think that is, that's the case. Um, like I, so I moved from a southern state in Australia, a bit colder, and fashion is so different. And it really wasn't about like we we just the, the focus on weight really wasn't there. And then I moved up here, and I I actually felt I actually felt a significant difference, and I felt a pressure. I'll be very honest. Mm. When I, I remember laying out on the beach and going, well, I'm not that tanned. Yes, yeah. I'd come from I'd come from winter South Australia, yeah. <laughs> so which is bloody cold, <laughs> and so I was like, I'm not actually that tanned. And then I was like, Wow, I'm not actually that toned because you don't see that kind of body, right? No. That real toned body. You don't see that a lot in colder areas. Yeah, because um, everyone's wearing jeans and jumpers and shit. They're not walking around mm-hmm. with no clothes on. Yeah, yeah, and even if I guess even if there is those trans bodies and I'm sure there is in South Australia. I wasn't just aware of them, but I became really hyper aware of them here. And then everything has this wellness focus, which is one incredible. I think, you know, focusing on nourishing bodies is awesome. But when that nourishment moves. Oh, you've dropped out. Are you there? To being consumed, then it's dangerous. Yes. 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 I actually, I've really, I guess, noticed this a lot more since having children because mm-hmm. I've always been a very health conscious person. I was blessed that my mum was very educated around food and all that kind of thing. So we always Beautiful. ate really well growing up. And I was very grateful to her for that and for the education. But I definitely was very much in that orthorexic kind of Mm. obsession with food and still I would say same as you like not same but similar like I'm definitely still recovering from that because it does very much hinder my life often but I'm also very aware of it and I became Mm -hmm. incredibly aware of it when I first had Maddie my eldest daughter and because when I started feeding her because you're starting from scratch. You're teaching them everything they know about food. And so Mm -hmm. to me, I was like, excellent. I'm going to give her only the best, only organic, only these things, only, Mm -hmm. you know, and everything has bone broth and ghee and everything in it. And she only eats organic vegetables. She doesn't have fruit and past a certain amount of time. Or if she has fruit, it's fermented. And if it's this, it's that. And like my obsession was passing on to her and yeah. I just was trying to control her eating in every way that I possibly could as far as grandparents, uncles, aunties, no, she can't have this, she can't have that, she can't have this, she can't have gluten, she can't have blah, 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 blah. And if you feed her that, 
mm-hmm. I will um, rip you a new one mm-hmm. because why are you trying to poison my child, you uneducated piece of shit? Yeah. Um, which, yeah. as you can imagine, is not did not make me like what a beautiful quality, you know, like <laughs> how wonderful. You're like daughter, daughter of the year. <laughs> yeah, no, like lucky Maddie to have a mum so terrifying like that. That was just you know, and yeah. I recognised it one time, and I was like, when, like. I, for starters, I can only control so much. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, like food is, should be her choice, her decision. If anything, she is so intuitive right now because she doesn't yeah. know anything except to be intuitive. So yeah. shouldn't I be yeah. trusting her and her mm-hmm. idea? And like, mm-hmm. how do I balance that line of giving her beautiful, nourishing food, but also mm. wanting her to have a healthy relationship with food and not be obsessed with it. I want her to be obsessed with life, not food. Yeah. Like, and I if love she... that, obsessed with life and not food. Yes, yeah. because, like, food is great. Like, yes, food and, like, eating good food is amazing. But to me, I'm starting to look at food as, like, when I'm eating beautiful, nourishing food, how does it make me mentally feel? Is it beautiful because I'm sitting down with a group of beautiful friends and we're connecting and we're experiencing, we're, like, enjoying the ritual and Mm -hmm. we're enjoying the beautiful taste or, you know, does a certain food, like, yeah, how does it make me feel? And I don't want my kids to be obsessed with food. I just want them to eat it because it's fucking there and they need to eat something and they need to nourish themselves. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, I mean, that's been a real dance for me and I'm still obviously trying to figure it all the fuck out. Um, what, what would be your advice around language and stuff like that when it comes to children? Children. Well, um, it's one. It's hard. I'm not a. I'm not a parent. So I'm. <laughs> I'm not a parent. But I feel like really making watching your own language like mm. around like that's a, that's a bad food because yeah. also kids have this real natural curiosity. You say something's bad, and they're like, oh, well, that's interesting. Like yes. I want to know why it's bad. Yeah. Like if you, I remember, and this is a really weird metaphor. I don't know why I'm going here, but anyway, Ooh, like sorry. I remember, I grew up on a farm, and my dad would say, like, the dam, don't go near the dam, because you want me to drown. Yeah, so yeah. Don't go near the dam. It's a really bad place. And so, like, whenever he wasn't looking, where was I? I was at the freaking dam. Like <laughs> that. That's what, where I wanted to be. And so it's like when we, you know, when we label like, oh, this is a good food, that's a bad food. Like kids are really curious. They wanted like, mm. wow, that's interesting. That's a bad food. I want to know why. Like, what, I wonder what bad food tastes like, you know? Yes. And so treat. A treat. Like, because even yeah. I do that. Like, Maddie, that's a treat, which means it's a sometimes food. As if yeah, you don't hear the word food. treat and want it all the fucking time. Time. Like, some, like I, I will say, like, I feel comfortable with, like, that's a sometimes food. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, that's a sometimes food. Like, I don't think, I think that's pretty benign. I yeah. believe it is. Um, people may disagree with me, but like, that's a, you know, that's just a sometimes food or that's, you know, will, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a tough, it's a tough one with, with children. But I think using those kinds of languages, um, even getting them to understand body cues really early, like, 
how does it feel when you eat when you eat that? Mm. What is you know? What does that what does that food feel like? Oh, you know, and some kids will be like, oh, it feels so good. Yeah. And then you know, if they are understanding their body cues from a really young age, they might eat the whole chocolate cake and go like, I don't feel good. Yeah. And they will. And if you go, oh, you don't like you don't feel good, and you just reiterate that, and they're like, yeah, I don't. I ate, I ate this and I don't feel good. I mean, Maddie and Mariano are probably a little younger, like, but this is getting Maddie up. Maddie would have her. a crack at a whole cake for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if, you know, if you could just say, like, how does, and just being aware, like, oh, how does this food make you feel? And, and not saying it with um, an agenda, like you're wanting them to say, oh, this food actually doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. Something like, how, you know, because them, them eating a, piece of chocolate cake once a week is not a, unless they have allergies mm-hmm. is like where have we got to we've got to this point where we don't trust our own body's detox abilities yeah we've got to this point yeah we have a greater load on our bodies i understand that because of all the you know the life that we live in this modern human experience mm. but like yeah i just wonder when we got we got to this point where we just don't Trust that we can, you know, enjoy a piece of cake with your friends yes. and think somehow your body can't deal with that. Do you think we use, this is maybe a heavy question, but mm-hmm. do you think we use food and, you know, diet culture and all that kind of thing as a way to deflect from, I guess, the underlying issues which I believe, or come down to our, like, emotional health, our mental health. Oh, yeah. Healing traumas. Yeah. All that kind of thing. It's all deflection. I, We're all looking for answers outside of ourselves. Yeah, we are. And it's, yeah, I would say, yeah, I do. I do believe that we use food to numb. Mm-hmm. We um, restrict food to numb. Mm-hmm. We create, I mean, food is one of the easiest things for us to control. Think about yes. life. Yeah. What can you control the most in your current experience? What you put in food. your mouth. What you put in your mouth. I'm not just talking um, about bellies. And it's even like you see people, you know, they control other things. They control like finances and stuff like mm. that. But food is, is, and when you're really little, food is also the easiest thing to control. Like you can be like, nah, I'm not eating that when you're two. Every mm-hmm. mum's probably been there and been like, oh, my God, like I can't actually make you eat <laughs> because yes. like, And that's them finding their level of control. So there is this kind of kind of healthy understanding around food and you know, things like that. There is that. Um, but I do. I do think that food and our perfecting of it can be a way that we avoid our stuff or yeah. a way that we deal with our stuff. Deal with our anxiety. Definitely. It's so, I feel yeah. like this topic is so huge. Oh, if it goes on, I mean, like this could be easily unpacking this for five or so hours. I don't think your listeners would still be with us, but um, <laughs> but like, yeah, well, I've got life to do. <laughs> and it's it's really and it's really hard because we have been so like diet culture um, culture is so ingrained. And yeah. it's ingrained in even me. Like I will see a post from, you know, nutritionists and dietitians who particularly work around this ending of diet culture. And mm-hmm. I'll feel really triggered, but I'm like, no, but if I, 
if I let myself have that food, then, and then I, you know, catch myself and go like, isn't that funny language? Okay. All right, cool. And, you know, I do my, my self-therapizing thing. But, um, I like that. I like how you said that catching yourself out. And then what did you say? Oh, that's like, that's funny language. Isn't that an interesting, interesting, that's an interesting language. And it's non-judgment. Like I've learned very much Mm. because I was perfectionistic in my recovery. Like when I would fall or like, you know, move into these, these kinds of um, mm-hmm. thought spaces that were disordered, Yeah, I'd go like, oh, my God, you're back here. What an idiot. I can't believe you're freaking back here. That and so like now, failing kind of. Yeah. It's like now you're failing. You haven't met the expectation that was already way too high. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now it's like, oh, that's a really interesting thought that I'm having around food. Yes. And I always go like, okay, is this, is this factual or is this emotional? Mm. Because sometimes for me, like me going, oh, this, like, you know, if I have to thought like, oh, this is really bad for me, I'm like, actually, like I'll look at it and I'll be like, is it actually, is a slice of chocolate cake at your favorite cafe yeah. actually really bad for you? Yeah, what are the ramifications? What, of what's the ramifications of this? And I know, I'm like, oh, the ramifications might be that I have a bit of emotional turmoil around it. Yeah. Or I'll be like, okay, this is actually coming from not a, my body's not going like, ah, this is really, this food's really bad. My mind's going, this food's really bad. Yeah. Oh. It takes a long time to di- differentiate yeah. between those two, um, particularly if you have a an interesting relationship with food. And I'm in no way, shape, or form saying that mine's perfect. Like I'm very much growing and evolving with it um, mm. and healing. Well, it's so many yeah. years of oh. healing yeah. that you need. Well, like, you know what I mean? Like there's so I'm many here, years yeah. that you need to heal from. Yeah, there's so many pathways really strongly ingrained. Relearning yourself um, and re... Yeah. Yeah. And, and and so many there, you know, I, I've had quite a few grieving, grieving times of going mm. like I didn't eat my grandma's last Christmas pudding she made oh. because before she died. Like I didn't because it had this in it and it had sugar in it and it had this in it. And like I would do anything to sit down with my family and enjoy food. Yes. And enjoy and just, you know, and, and now I do and I sit down and we laugh. And I didn't realise, I went back, you know, to my family for Christmas and my grandma came up to me and she's like, okay, I've made you all this special food and it's gluten-free and it's blah, 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 blah. And my auntie came up and was like, okay, I've, you know, I've done this for you, I've done this. And I was like, wow, I really hijacked my family for so many years <laughs> around food. Like, this is affecting like, everyone around I eat any, I eat everything now. I eat everything now. And they were like, what? are you serious? You <laughs> eat everything now? They couldn't believe it. And we just had the best Christmas. Oh. And I just ate whatever I wanted to eat. And my grandma makes all of her, the things that I used to eat when I was, you know, quite young. Yeah. Like, cause I still did eat when I was quite young, you know, yeah. I still ate, few, you know, and all the favorite things that she used to give me for Christmas. I ate all of those things. I woke up, I felt fine. The world didn't end. Yes. Isn't that it? Like. <laughs> the world didn't end. <laughs> we have, we have this idea and I guess it is like, a control thing. We're always trying to control everything. If I do this, I don't do that. I do this, I don't do that. That's bad. This is good. This is blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I will live Constant until evaluation. whatever. You know, like we yeah. just, yeah, yeah. We just, if, if I do all of these things, then this will happen. And it's like we're yeah. trying to create this equation for our life. 
and yeah. because we're constantly in an inundated with information and and like constantly being updated i guess like our uh with mm-hmm. information which is amazing because like how blessed are we to be able to oh. constantly be learning so lucky but there are you know there are people who will smoke a ciggy like smoke 700 fucking cigarettes a day and like you know not f- fucking vote for gay marriage and shit who are living until they're like 300 years old and yeah. you might eat only organic uh do everything right like you know do absolutely everything mm-hmm. right in you know quotations right mm-hmm. And get cancer tomorrow or get hit by a car or something yep. might happen to you. You might still lose someone. Like, we can't stop mm-hmm. bad things from happening. No, we can't. And that's been my Eating biggest... food's not going to stop it. <laughs> no, know? no. And micromanaging your food. And, and also, like, if you're really interested in understanding these things, if you're really interested in understanding preservatives, if you're really interested in understanding, like... Do more research than a Instagram post. Yeah. Like if you really want to go talk to someone who has studied this kind of stuff, yeah. you know, talk to a nutritionist or talk to a, a dietitian or talk to or, or even hop on to Google Scholar. Yeah. And Try and understand. Evidence-based, you know, some stuff based in evidence. Like I learned something wild the other day. And it's not going to be super popular. I know this as I say it. I know it's not going to be super popular. That gets me so excited. And I'm, one, I really, I'm not telling you to go out and be okay and just drink diet drinks, for example. I'm not going to say that. Yeah. But, like, so the aspartame. Yeah. We know it's this. um, If you don't know, aspartame is the sweetener that they put in diet drinks. Yes. Now, I... Like this was like the number one devil in my handbook. Like really, it was the worst thing. Yeah, yeah, because like I could crazy carcinogenic, that all that sort of thing. Yeah, all of those things. And so I, like, recently was like, I'm gonna look into this. I spoke to my friend who's dietitian. We looked into it a little bit. So, like, the basis that we went off of, like that we always hear how it being that carcinogenic, it gives you brain cancer, etc. Mm. So that was done, um, that study was done in the 70s, yeah. done on mice, and it, they were given what would be on a human um, 750 cans of Diet Coke. Oh, my God. Per mouse. And they developed brain cancer. Per mouse. Per mouse. Like, yeah, like if, if it was the amount, like equivalent uh, to human, yeah. 750 cans of Coke, and that was, a, that was the aspartame level, right? Jesus. So, so you can imagine how high that aspartame level is. Yes. Because they've just been given this, right? So, if we had 250 cans of Coke, yep, we would develop a whole heap of crazy shit. Yeah. Going on, um, including probably the aspartame would would have an issue with our brain. But, like, you know, so we say, like, aspartame is really, really bad for us. I'm not saying that it's not. I really just want to highlight, like, I'm not saying that it's not bad. But it's not probably, you know, if you have one drink at a wedding and they put Diet Coke accidentally into your scotch, you know, and you drink that, you're not going to get brain cancer from that. No, you're just going to have a fucking loose time on the dance floor. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you know what I mean? Like these studies, if you, rather than kind of making these general sweeping under, you know, sweeping things, and look, I don't think having so many artificial things in our diet's ideal. I don't do that myself. I'm not going to tell anyone else to do that. Yeah. But I just, I guess my point that I'm trying to get at is breathe space around your food. Yes. It's not scary. Yeah, like let's take the fear down a notch. Yeah, yes. You know, and let's take the fear down a notch, bump the pleasure up. Yeah, I love that. Take the fear down and bump the pleasure up. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy, I enjoy Cadbury Caramello Chocolate. Oh, my God. Same. Love it. It's not, you know, two... Two, two, three years ago, I would not even remotely touch that. Yep, you and me both. Yep, wouldn't even go near it. Like, yeah. that was awful. Now, I have a block. It lasts me quite a long time because I don't like a lot, but I'll have oh, a square every now and then. Yep. And do I feel any different in my body? No. Has, do, I, do I dislike myself? No, which is huge for me. Yes, I <laughs> no, that. I don't dislike myself. And I actually sit down with it. Like I have a square and I have a tea and I just feel like this is my little time and this is my moment. It's like a ritual. It's a ritual. I love that. I love creating rituals around food. Mm. Or like around, that's like I was even talking to my mum yesterday. Like in the morning, my ritual is my cup of coffee. Yeah, and of yep. an evening, my ritual is a glass of wine. Doesn't mean I get shit faced yeah. every night, but no. it's just that that ritual around it. And sometimes, like you know, we love to, like I think it's beautiful. It's like you know when you meet up with friends, you go and have lunch together, or you go out for dinner, or you go yep. you go on a date and you go out for dinner because it's something yep. beautiful to share food together and mm. to. And we've been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah sharing around food and being able to go to any restaurant and just find something that I can eat is phenomenal. Yeah. Like just going, like I used to be like, oh, I'll just come for a drink, lady, because I'm not eating here with you peasants. Like, yes, you guys are eating that a bit dirty like, food. <laughs> I'm not eating that dirty food. Well, now I'm like, you know what? It's not the end of the world. And I, you know, I'll often find, I find what I really want to eat and I go with that. Yeah. That's it. it. We don't like food shouldn't stop you from enjoying life. No, no. There's a lot more, a lot more to life. And yeah, food should be the basis of also building our a nourished body. Yeah. And I know that I've, I've said this again and again, and I'm not. I just really want to to highlight that. Yeah. That we are nourishing our bodies, and I eat a wide range of different foods. But I don't have bad foods anymore. And that means that all of my food experiences have significantly improved yeah. and have become joyful. How yeah. amazing. Let's send, yeah. let's send it on that, that. Let's send it on that. <laughs> oh, I feel, I, well, I spoke to you earlier and said, I think we're going to have to do a part two on this another yeah. time. <laughs> and I think we absolutely yeah. do. I'd love to delve even more into diet culture Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. discussing that because, man, it is very prevalent in like all very of, prevalent. We don't and even... it's a lot to unpack. It's yes. so much, and it's really confronting. 
Like I find it confronting. I actually, that was another thing I wanted to bring up. There were even, isn't it so funny, the things that trigger you. I now am recognizing that if I'm triggered by something or someone says something and in my heart, I'm sitting there like almost feeling attacked. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You feel Mm. almost like it's, it's an attack because I would never, or I don't believe that at all. That is the most perfect moment to go. Why? What belief (laughs) have I been told that I'm so attached to that a comment like that triggers me. Mm, It is. It's, and we go really gently with that. Yeah. We go really self-compassionately, you know, if that's, if anything I've said today has been a really big trigger and you disagree with me, that's okay. Like I'm, I'm not, um, I'm, I don't need I don't need everyone to agree with me. If you disagree mm. with me, that's absolutely okay. My views come from my perceptions, through my lenses, through my experience, right? Yeah. And you've got a whole different. But also, you know, the basis of self-awareness is reading things that might trigger us mm-hmm. or hearing things that might trigger us and just sitting with that a little. Yeah. And just allowing your, you know, Trying okay, it on. interesting. Try it on a little yeah. and just to see where that, that takes you. Yeah. Amazing. Which is just a good perception, like a good perspective to have, especially with conversations like this where people mm. are so attached to particular beliefs. Well, you know, because it is, it comes down to their control. And if like, mm-hmm. you know, we're really, I guess, um, testing a lot of people and their, their, beliefs and yeah can be bringing up a lot of things for people that they probably don't want to feel you know like or experience and and food's a very we have a very individual relationship with you know it's our very close kind of it's our it's our stream of nourishment so if Mm. you know we're talking about survival needs here which can bring up a whole heap of different emotions as well (laughs) everyone (laughs) is just doing their best yeah I love that yeah yeah Uh, I love it Brené Brown talks about being generous with your assumptions oh isn't she amazing oh my religion (laughs) (laughs) my religion can I put that on my senses (laughs) the church of Brené Brown (laughs) (laughs) um thank you so much Elle for coming and talking to us today I've been dying for this episode because I think it's just so important to discuss, especially as, you know, women who are going to be raising the next generation. I think mm-hmm. it's really important for us to um, firstly heal ourselves in our own relationship with food because yeah. we can't help anyone else if we, you know, children do as they see, not as they're told or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So how can people, because you are able to, uh, practice to anyone, aren't you? Because yes, yeah. So I um I practice out of two spaces. I practice out of my home um, clinic here in Mumbai, um, Sunshine Coast. But I also practice on Skype. Yes. So you can Skype with me 
as well. And then I also, um, another physical another physical place to hang out is at Exalto Holistic Hub, and that's in Marana on the Sunshine Coast. What a great place that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great place. Yeah. <laughs> um, wonderful. And your website, Instagram handle, all that fun stuff so people can find you, stalk you. Yeah, yeah. Stalk, please stalk me. <laughs> um, so my Instagram is Anandi. Now that's an interesting one to spell. It's A-N-A-N-D-I dot therapies, Anandi Therapies, Instagram. My um, my website is anandi-therapies.com and my name is Elle Sweetman if you need to find me. That's that's me. Amazing. And um, I will send through to you here a whole heap of awesome um, people on Instagram doing a lot to debunk mm. that culture. I really recommend one, one thing I did was I went through reduced – the food influences that I found to be detrimental to my own mental health. Mm-hmm. And then I upped these guys. So I, I was getting it. like a little bit of, um, a little bit of like anti-diet culture into my eyes every day. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. actually like, we can say what we want about Instagram and, and we've spoken about this a lot on this podcast, mm. but we have the opportunity to decide um, like we get to create our own magazine, you know, back in the day we yeah. had like our Dolly Doctor, we had our Cosmo or whatever, and we just got, you know, just shoveled fucking articles from there. And we would, <laughs> that was all we got. Yes. We got just like what was there was what we had. But now we get yeah. to decide what we see. We get to choose who inspires us. So if you yeah. were, if you look at Instagram and you go, I hate Instagram because it makes me feel like shit. Well, then mm-hmm. you are using it wrong because yeah. there are some awesome people out there who there are. are just so real and so mm-hmm. inspiring. And I love that I can be inspired by so many people that I never would have otherwise known of or yep. spoken to yep. or whatever. You know, you are a um, perfect example of that. Guys, everyone start following Elle because she is just <laughs> – constantly you're like throwing shit out every day where I'm like whoa and just absolutely (laughs) challenging my thoughts and my perspective which I love it's nothing better thank you I appreciate that so Um, everyone do an Instagram detox that's the only detox you should be doing um (laughs) yeah 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 I mean like if you're if you're working with a professional do one yes Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. I think my biggest my biggest advice is work with a professional yep. around your food. Yes. Absolutely because work with a professional. <laughs> it's your where our bodies are all so damn different. There is mm-hmm. no blanket diet or way of eating. Mhm. So, yeah. If like, yeah, that's exactly right. Go talk yep. to a nutritionist and yep. figure out what your body needs and what your body loves. Yep. Amazing. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank oh, you again, thank you. Elle. Loved having you on as usual. Um, for everyone else, uh, make sure that you subscribe, rate, review this podcast if you love it because it helps me out a lot. Um, and share it around with your friends, especially this podcast in particular. You know, if this if uh, this is something that is really close to your heart or is something that you know 
like you, there are people in your life who you think will benefit from this, then um, get it in their fucking ears. Like, I'm not telling you how to do that, but, you know, force, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever way works for you. Anyway, have a great week and I'll talk to you all next week. Thank you. Bye. Please Ask Mickey is a Hit Network original podcast produced at Hit 105 Studios in Brisbane. Created, hosted and produced by Michaela Burnett. Check out pleaseaskmickey.com. Editorial support from Julia Foskey, executive producers Scott McDonald and Matthew Eggleston. For more great audio stories, check out hit.com.au.